Three, two, one. Is the recognition that content we can treat content a bit like Lego? You know, that we, we can take these little blocks and, and components of content and we can structure them and build a boat out of them, or we can take the same components and, and bricks and build, you know, a house out of them. And that to me creates for a very, very exciting content strategy. If I were to say the words higher ed content strategy, then Tracy Playle's name will almost certainly be the first that springs to mind. And that's no fluke. She's the bee's knees. So I'm delighted to welcome Tracy to the podcast this week. We talk all things content strategy, what it is, why it's important and who is doing it well. It's not often you get to sit down with such an influential person and just pick their brains. So settle in for a cracking conversation. From the Access Platform, she's Tracy, I'm Dave and this is Inspiration on Tap. To, do you want to ask a question to do that or do I just go straight into it for you? No, just 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 say no. d- just yep. go for it. Okay. Yeah. Um so I'm I'm Tracy Plough. I'm the founder, CEO and chief content strategist at Pickle Jar Communications. Um, and I'm also the founder of Content Ed. Well Tracy, thank you so much for taking the time um to chat to me and welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you on. Um so before we get stuck into all this stuff about content strategy, which is obviously your your area, tell me a bit about your background. How did you end up forming Pickle Jar and doing all these other amazing things that you've been doing over the last few years? So I used to uh, I used to work at the University of Warwick, where you used to work as well, Dave. And um, Correct, but that yes. was before before your time there. Um, so I was I was working there in house in the communications team uh, until about two thousand and seven. So my last role there, I was head of uh, something that used to exist called Research TV. Mm-hmm. And um, around that time, within Warwick University in my role at Research TV we were doing a lot of really great work on uh, content, storytelling, social media um, and, and we were getting a lot of other universities come to us and ask us what we were doing, how we were doing it, what was what was really working for us and all of that and we, we just kind of realised there was a bit of a consultancy need really in the sector for, for people that would, would advise, you know, just focused on, on content, focused on digital content, focused on social media as it was emerging back then and so in two 2007 I, I left the university and I set up Pickle Jar Communications so it's been around for you know 11 years now and mm-hmm. um, and in that time I've you know spent my life the, the, the first kind of half of that time sort of really pigeonholed as a social media specialist but you know quite the early years of that recognizing that my role and what I was the where I was adding value wasn't specifically about social media platforms and channels but, but was more about content and understanding audiences and you know when, when I then kind of you know read the the, the the term content strategist um which is, i think uh, is how a lot of us that work in content strategy have kind of come about this term we've sort of you know we've read it in a blog post or a book somewhere and kind of gone actually that's what i'm doing that's that's kind of what i am um mm-hmm. and sort of found my kind of professional and spiritual home there i guess in a way so you mentioned that you are a content strategist and it's one of these things where, particularly with jobs in he you say your job title to somebody and they give you a bit of a blank look and then you have to explain it to them in, in sort of layman's terms so how would you explain what a content strategist does yeah kind of um it depends who i'm talking to really so if, if I'm, I'm talking to someone who 
who has you know that th- their own uh, industry is is something to do with marketing communications or mm-hmm. digital and web um then to those people i describe content strategy as being about uh it's really about the process of supporting and helping an organization achieve its goals by planning creating distributing and maintaining content um but doing so in a way that's specifically useful and usable to the different audiences that we're trying to reach um mm-hmm. but also understandable by machines and intelligent systems so that could be a search engine a, a voice assistant a social media platform a, a, you know a crm platform or a marketing automation platform or something like that so it's about understanding those audiences it's about creating and planning what great content looks like for them um, and it's then about helping the organization develop the systems the processes the structures like workflows and and, and even to some extent the culture to, to be able to help them manage their content more effectively and efficiently so so that's kind of how I describe it to people that are you know in in the, the know which is probably a lot of your listeners on this podcast I imagine mm-hmm. but you know if, I, if I'm talking to someone who's not from you know not from our world i just talk about it about being information management you know about getting the right information to to the right people at the right moment in time at which they need it and i think one of my favorite definitions that i've ever heard someone else make of you know being a content strategist or working in ux or that kind of role and i i can't remember who said it so i can't i can't attribute the quote properly but they basically said you know it's it's about making websites less shit um fair enough and you know that to me is quite a nice you know in a nutshell description really of what we're doing although it's not not always websites, though. So, you know, beyond that. Yeah, you should have that on your business card, perhaps. I should. <laughs> <laughs> so how about how about how a content strategist differs from a content creator as such? I mean, do, do content strategists get to do much of the creating stuff? It's a really great question. Um, y- yes, uh, so- sometimes, uh, not always. And, and it depends where in the... See, see, I think of um, content strategy as being, uh, it's like an industry rather than a profession. So you, mm-hmm. you sort of sit on a spectrum as a content strategist. And at one end, you might be very, very technical. You, you could even be like a, you know, someone that is a CMS developer or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. Through to the other end where you might actually be, spend most of your life writing content or, or recording podcasts with people. So there's this really broad, broad spectrum. And I kind of sit somewhere in the middle. So in in my role and and obviously you know half of my life i'm spending also being a ceo of a company but um but when i'm doing my content strategy work i can be spending sometimes writing content so this week i've been writing sample content for a a university's staff intranet um Mm -hmm. for them or i can actually be doing the really deeply strategic stuff so there can be overlap in the roles and and in my company there tends to be a fair amount of overlap but that's largely because a lot of us our background comes from being content creators and we've then kind of layered the the strategic side of it on so I often find that you know a good content strategist probably has a you know is probably a reasonable content creator but it's not always the case that someone who's an amazing content creator can think strategically Um, and that's not that they can't it's just that they generally in their role haven't been challenged to so a strategist will do all of the planning work and make sure that the vision and the direction is in the right direct, you know, going in the right way. So that's strategic alignment with organisational goals, stakeholder mapping, stakeholder consultations, re- audience research, understanding the the audience, user testing, uh, understanding user needs. So, um, and then things like content structuring, where we're getting into the more technical side of content strategy, taxonomy design, all of that kind of stuff, and um, and also designing how we work as an organisation. So, the role the relationships the workflow the governance and all of that kind of stuff which a content creator typically wouldn't necessarily get involved in so for for me um the bridge between 
being a content strategist and being a content creator is a, a third role and a third title that we hear quite a lot at the moment and that's content designer um, and and that is the role that kind of sits somewhere in between okay so you and your team at pickle jar you you're out there every week going to different organizations within the sector and, and helping them with their content strategy just why is content strategy important for the higher ed sector? So you know, we, we can tackle this from for a number of, number of different ways. I mean, obviously, we, we like any organisation, have have audiences that we need to reach and engage with. Um, and therefore, information, call it content, if you, if you like, that we need to be getting to those people. Um, and, and of course, you know, I mean, in my career in higher ed, you know, having started working in higher ed, right at the beginning of the of the century which makes me sound really old when I say it that way <laughs> you know I, I'm, I'm kind of coming into the sector and working in the sector at a moment in time at which marketing is still a little bit of a dirty word but we're starting to recognize with the introduction of fees that you know th- this stuff needs to be taken seriously so so there's kind of a marketing um, piece around this that, that, that we we need it from that perspective but really the, the driver for me in, in our sector is about the complexity of the organizations that we're working in so you know we're complex organizations organizations where many many people have a voice and need to have a voice so we're therefore creating a lot of noise but we're also organizations where what we might see as being the business areas within our organizations if if we're happy with using that terminology like teaching and learning like research you know like outreach there's actually really really big overlaps between those but we don't always have the, the, the structures in place to think about how our content overlaps between those things unless we're doing a manual job of it. So one of the things that content strategy helps us to do is to kind of map that and what that looks like and look at how that needs to connect. So um, for me, a, a reasonably basic use case of this that I, I see quite a lot is the way in which we treat alumni case studies. Um, so you'll go to an alumni section of a university's website, they'll have these amazing stories about things that their alumni are doing, but they sit on the alumni section of the university website. But actually the people that we probably really want to get in front of that content is our prospective students. So it's, it's about being able to automate these processes so that if we've got an amazing alumni story, it can automatically appear on, you know, on the right course page that the prospective student might be looking at. Or if we've got a postgraduate research um, prospect looking at our site, that actually it's being able to reference the uh, uh, the academic um, profiles on our, on our website properly and, and, and join all of those things together and not treat recruitment and research as being two separate things in that context. So so it, it, it helps us to, to see and map the organisation in all its complexity and work out where we can pull meaningful content from um, for, for different audiences. And then, of course, there's some pretty basic stuff as to why we need to be really, really careful with our content, like a lot of the legal pressures that we face. So, you know, much, much bigger drive for, for being more compliant with, with our content now, our user experiences, whether it's things like GDPR um, or the CMA regulations around uh, course content and, and providing that kind of information. So we need to we need to be really tight on our processes around the content that we're producing and putting out there so that we, we make sure that we're compliant and not leaving ourselves open to those vulnerabilities. And then the last one really is financial pressures, right? We, you know, we have a responsibility in, in the education sector to be efficient and effective with how we use the limited resources that we've got. Um, and most large organisations actually aren't very efficient or effective, more, well, maybe less effective efficiency rather than effectiveness with their content. Um, we tend to replicate stuff. We tend to have multiple people creating very similar things all over the place. And, you know, content strategy helps us to kind of work through that and work how we can be more effective with our content um, production. Okay, great. So 
I've got another comparison question for you now, because a, a term you often see, uh, well, a word you often see stuck next to content is content marketing. So how how do you see content strategy differing from content marketing? This one gets confused a lot. And there are a lot of people that when they're talking about content strategy, actually, when I really dig into it, I, they're talking about what I refer to as content marketing or content mm-hmm. marketing strategy. So for me, content marketing is a subset of content strategy. So it, it's the part of content stra- strategy that exists in support of those organizational goals where those goals require marketing effort to make them happen. But not all content is marketing content. So, uh, you know, I've already mentioned that one of the things I've been working on this week is, is intranet. So, you know, content strategy can be looking at things like, how, how do I claim my expenses back from the university? You know, that, that kind of content. Mm. That's not, I mean, there are some people out there that would argue that's marketing content, but I wouldn't call that content marketing. So, you know, you could also have a content strategy for teaching and learning content, you know, for, for lectures and all of that kind of stuff as well. Whereas you probably wouldn't have a content marketing strategy for, for the learning experience. So, for, for me, part of the difference is that content strategy also encompasses kind of people and processes around that, whereas content marketing doesn't. So, so I, I, I sort of say that it, it kind of consists of three things, really. Content strategy, strategy consists of content marketing. Um, mm-hmm. It also consists of information management. And lastly, it consists of content operations. And, and that's the process and people part of it. So, so that's why I, I think of content marketing as being a subset of content strategy. It doesn't make it any less important. Um, it just means that it, you know, it sits within a larger framework. Great. OK. So who out there do you think has a really great content strategy? And this can be from from within the sector or, or from, from the wider world beyond the HE sector? I get asked this question a lot um, and it's it's one of the more difficult questions that I get asked because I think everyone wants me to kind of go, do you know that, that university or that, or, that organisation has this all completely nailed? Mm-hmm. And, you know, as you know, I, I speak at a lot of conferences around this stuff. So I, I get to, to, you know, to hang out and, and, and chat with and interact with some of the, the finest content strategists in the world who work for the most amazing organisations. And believe me, you get them behind closed doors with a few glasses of wine and they'll be revealing all of the flaws um, mm-hmm. that they have. So, so no one really has this now. So for, for me, there are organisations that do pieces of content strategy really, really well and, and other pieces not so well. So the University of Bath, for example, do structured content amazingly well. And, and some of the processes that they've put in place around thinking about how you plan content and, and, and how you develop new content is really, really good. So so content structuring and content operations, I quite often looked at to Bath and, and, you know, Rich Prowse and the work that he's done down there. Leeds Beckett University have done amazing stuff around personalization of content. So um, if we, we look at how you make it more meaningful to, to a particular audience at a particular moment in time, then they've got some fabulous stuff that's around that. So that's a little bit more on the kind of the substance of the content itself, but also, you know, how, how you structure that and understand the user journeys to be able to trigger good personalization. Um, and then there are universities that do amazingly well from a content um, output perspective, you know, what the actual quality of the content they produce. So, I mean, it's, it's a little bit old now, but for, for me, the, the video work that the University of Western Sydney did a few years ago um, mm-hmm. was just, you know, just you know blew the rest of us out of the water really from a storytelling perspective and how you how you produce really really great 
in their case, content marketing, video content. I love the work that Boston University do, um, particularly around taking existing formats that we're used to, like at, like an annual report, and transforming that into something that actually is is really really engaging. Whereas normally annual reports can be pretty dry and dull. Um, and then outside of the outside of the higher ed sector, um, you know, I, I'd be amiss not to cite Gov UK. Uh, we might think you know of the work that the government digital services have done on that site as being quite boring and quite dry but actually from a content strategy and content design perspective it's really important and citizens advice fall into that 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 same kind of place as well and then from the content marketing side of things you know I, I quite often flag up um, organizations like HubSpot uh, Moo who make you know the, the, the business cards their content marketing's brilliant uh, Gather Content um, do an amazing job of their own content marketing uh, Innocence Movies you know there's some really really great examples out there of, of people that are producing some really really strong marketing content that that starts from a position of understanding what the audience wants and needs are rather than starting from a position of what we have to sell you brilliant some really good examples for people to check out there so anyone who's who's perhaps seen you speak or, or come across your your stuff online they, they've probably picked up on the fact that you've uh, you've developed this 10-part model to assess the maturity of, a, of an organization's content strategy i was curious just to pick your brains like since you started using that model how have you found the the general state of, of the higher ed sectors of content strategy health to be like since since you've since you bought into the, in this model, so it, I mean, it's worth saying with with the model that um, that there's there's a few different ways that people use it, so uh, or can use it, and, and and one of them is that we actually go into their organisation and do a depth study for them to to, mm-hmm. to to use the model to assess themselves. We've only actually done that depth study once for one one institution, so most of the ways that other people are using it are around kind of workshopping activity we do with them, and you know we've got a card sort tool that people can use for it. So. Um, so a lot of it comes more from observation for them from me actually doing the study but it's um it, it's quite mixed in, in in terms of where you know where the sector is at um i mean again it's a little bit like you know with, with content strategy so, some people are doing some parts of it better than others and the, the area that i'm finding the the sector probably struggles with the most is is the things that relate to people rather than content i mean we 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 actually have some amazing content creators in our sector um, and some amazing amazing outputs but actually from the way in which we manage ourselves internally that's where we we have the, the biggest problem so um, and, and then the other area that I, th- I find there's sometimes a a reasonable weakness on but this this is changing right but this is just because content strategy still feels quite new to people um but that's actually just the lack of strategic thinking and planning around content so there's too many content silos there's too many people focusing on what we as a university could say rather than what the audience wants and needs and and it still kind of catches me by surprise even though I'm used to hearing this but it catches me by surprise just how little people understand the value of audience research and audience insight um, and tend to rely so much on what our internal stakeholders tell us um, but we are getting a lot better and um, you know it, it's such an emerging profession and it's really really exciting to be kind of part of the, the growth of that profession in our sector at the moment um, and you know people are getting uh, are really starting to do some really really fabulous work now great so I mean, we've chatted quite a lot about the sort of strategic side of it I, I was curious to to sort of see what you thought about whether there are any particular content vehicles that you think universities should perhaps be making more use of or even particular types of content i mean i know you've you've sort of built this reputation as a as a speaker on how to use humor in content like is that the sort of thing the sector should be trying to do and if so where where should we be trying to do that 
I, lo- I love the, the, the idea that I've got a reputation for that. It, it, then <laughs> the humour thing's a bit of a pet, pet interest of mine that I've spoken about a few times at conference, but I, I, yeah, I'll come back to that in a second. So, um, I mean, for, yes, there are. I mean, look, you know, the, the data tells us we, we need to be looking more and more at video. But mm-hmm. the, the problem is, is that I don't think we... I don't think we, we quite plan for the enormity of what that actually means for, for our institutions. So we, we can, we're in danger of treating video a little bit too flippantly. So for, for me, we should only be using video properly if we're gonna, if we're gonna commit to making it completely accessible, useful to people and, and not just window dressing. And, and I think you know, there's a danger of it being window dressing at the moment. So, so, so for me, I think we, we actually need to get some of the basics right. Like we, we shouldn't ignore the written word. Um, and, I, and we need to invest a lot more in, in the good basics of writing great web copy and, and just what good digital content actually looks like. So yes, we can explore video, we can explore podcasting, we can explore voice interactions and chatbots and all of that kind of stuff. But without having the foundations of good, the good basic, what makes good digital content and, and that a lot of that comes from copy we can't really do the other things around that so you, you know in order for us to design an amazing chatbot experience we need to understand how to structure content we need to understand a lot more about you know hu- human language and, and how we phrase questions in different ways and that kind of stuff and and we can tackle that through making our web copy better your, your question your allusion then to thinking about humor i mean um i did want to pick back up on that again because Humour is actually a lot more serious than than we think it is, and 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 so I don't I don't mean to kind of you know sap sap the the life and the laughter out of humour, but humour is when we really think about it one of the most amazing vehicles for getting people to see the world and getting people to see something in a different way. So when we look at the um, when we look at how humour has often played a, a role in uh, you know historically, um, and one of the the places that I often look is uh, at King Lear, for example. And and while I know this is you know fiction and not fact, but um, you know we look at the role of like something like a f- the fool or or a court jester. Um, their role was was not just to make you know the the, the ruler of the king, the empire, the emperor, whoever that was, was not just to make that person laugh. Their role was actually there as a kind of challenge to authority and a challenge to power, and and often the, they were the only person that could actually were were enabled and empowered to help that those positions of authority see something in a different way. So. So actually what we can take from humour is actually really, really important to us in the education sector. It's it's less about the emphasis on making people laugh and more on the emphasis of giving people a different perspective and a different view on the world. Um, and and humour tends to, as, as a con- construct, it, it takes a human truth and then it, it, it gives us something different about that truth. Um, and to me, that's exactly what we're doing in, in universities, in the higher education sector. We, we're, we're in the business of constantly questioning human truths and, uh, and the way in which we see the world. So those two things actually sit, for me, really comfortably together. The thing that makes it uncomfortable is that a lot of people, when they think about humour, think it's just frivolous and flippant and silly. Um, and it actually doesn't need to be. It's not not just dressing up in a clown outfit then. It, it's not. And I mean, you know, we're, we're recording this on the 5th of April. So this week, of course, we've had a lot of, you know, a lot of silly stuff in the sector with mm. April Fool's Day. And and while I 
you know, I don't, I don't think what we do on April Fool's Day really gets to the heart of the potential of humour. What it does do is it does give an, us an access point at least one day in the year when we kind of, in our, in our universities, have a, the opportunity to test it a little bit more and to test the waters with it. And, and you know, I really, really welcome that. I just, I, I would like to see us em, embracing it as in a little, a slightly more serious way, if that makes sense. Yeah, and embracing it all year round as well, I guess. Absolutely, not, yeah. Humour's, humour's not just for April Fool's Day, it's for, it's for life. Definitely, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so how about um, user-generated content? How does that fit into your world? Do you see it as anything that can be quite strategic or is it is it simply a tool? Oh, no, it's absolutely it can be strategic. I mean, um, you know, obviously it, it, it's going to happen without us, um, without us prompting it uh, a lot of the time. And, and that is a wonderful, wonderful thing. So... For, for me, um, user-generated content is, is it's kind of both a tool and a strategic thing for us. So it's strategic when we plan it, when we encourage it, maybe even when we commission it. But even more so, it's strategic when we, we think about it as a, a core way of... Um, of kind of measuring the pulse uh, of our institution and what our audience actually think about us or how they would represent our brand or they would represent the experiences that they might be having in an, in, you know, in an interaction with us. So for me, it's actually a source of, you know, some of the most amazing kind of audience insights and, and depth insights in, into our audiences and what they think. Um, and, and, and so when we start from that position, we gather this amazing data, but then we also have, have at our disposal amazing content that we could potentially do something with as well. So so the strategic piece is really just about how we choose to use it and actually making time to, to be able to plan how we use it and, and, and making sure that we make the space for that rather than it just being, you know, something that we, we retweet or something like that. I mean, that, that was one of my pet hates a few years ago was, I mean, particularly when, when Twitter was perhaps more of a big thing than we see it as these days um where universities would just retweet anything that anyone said about them that was good and like that that to me is not strategic and if anything that makes us look a little bit needy and a little bit desperate um but you know there's a lot more that we can do with that kind of content okay so so moving on from one of one part of your life that you're very passionate about to another i wanted to talk a bit about content ed which i think i'm right in saying is the world's only conference focused on content strategy for the education sector is that right so it's a mouthful isn't it but we um we believe so um there is uh there's an online uh version the college Mm -hmm. web editors higher ed experts folk i think they're called they um they do an online conference that that has content in it but i believe we're the only one that's actually like a you know a real face-to-face um, pro- proper conference yeah great so you, so you started it in 2017 I've, I've attended both years and it's been it's been one of the highlights of my year both times I mean, what what prompted you to put it together in the first place we'll be back right after this quick message thanks so much for checking out this podcast it's a brand new show which means i can legitimately do the cliched podcast thing of asking you for a quick rating or review it would really help us get our name out there and of course while you're doing that you might as well subscribe too so you don't miss a beat you might also like to know that over at the access platform we put out a fantastic newsletter at the end of every month it's full of great reading from around the higher ed sector and it really will brighten up your inbox. Sign up for that and find out all about how our ACE platform will help you attract, convert and recruit more students at theaccessplatform.com or send us your favourite dog gif to at TA platform on Twitter. Okay, back to the show. 
prompted you to put it together in the first place? Um, it, it, it came from a, a few places. Uh, one of the one of the first reasons for putting it together is gonna is gonna sound a little bit sad and I don't mean this to, to sound dismissive of the the amazing professional development activities that we do have in our sector. But quite frankly, at Pickle Jar Communications, we um we were struggling to find where to go to help fulfil our own professional needs and our own professional development. Um and a lot of the the conferences that we were finding are led by the sector weren't meeting our needs, um, particularly as content strategists. So th- there was a gap that we needed to fill for our own company. And, and a lot of the, the great conferences that happened around content strategy were happening in the States. And, you know, we're a small company at Pickle Jar. You know, I, I can't afford to send my entire team out to, to Minneapolis once a year to go to Confab. So, but Confab, um, who is, uh, for, for those of your listeners who aren't aware of it, so Confab is um, amazing, amazing content strategy conference um, run by Brain Traffic, um, which is uh, owned by Christina Halverson, who is kind of, you know, the queen of content strategy, um, or, you know, almost the, the founder of the term, I think a lot of people would attribute her as being. And uh, Christina and her team used to run Confab EDU, so an education um, version of the, of the conference uh, in the States. And they um, they actually stopped doing it a few years ago. And, and that was the point at which we, we kind of went, you know, we need something like that in, in Europe. And we spoke to Brain Traffic and asked if they would bring Confab EDU to, to Europe. And it actually didn't, it just didn't meet with their strategic objectives as it was. They were winding it down um, and just focusing on just doing one big conference. So we said, okay, we're, we'll do it. Um, and we thought it was going to be, you know, a handful of maybe 40 or 50 people in year one. And um, and we ended up in year one with about 130. Year two, we were just shy of 200. Um, we're into year three right now. We, we closed the early booking deadline today as you and I are speaking. And we're already at 230. Um, so yeah, it's incredible. We, you know, we had we had this number last year, we would have been turning people away by now. We're still three months before the conference. So that to me just says something about this kind of growing content community in our sector and that's the beautiful thing about it is that although I, I own the conference um, it doesn't feel like it's just you know my thing and my baby it kind of it feels like it's become a real community where you know people like yourselves have really sort of pitched into helping us make it become this thing that really serves the sector and that that just excites me so much. Yeah, and it's become a community incredibly quickly as well. I mean, like like you say, it's only year three this year. I mean, have you been surprised at all by how, not just how much it's grown in terms of numbers, but just general enthusiasm and buy-in for it? Have I um I was uh I was the last one in the office earlier on Monday this week, and um everyone else had gone home, and the the, the telephone rang, and it was um uh, it was someone from an institute in Madrid uh, in Spain. And uh, they were phoning to, to, to ask about their, their booking that they were about to make. And uh, and I got chatting to them and they, it turns out they'd been last year. And, you know, I, t- I told them they were speaking to me and they obviously remembered me because I, you know, like people sort of know, associate me with the event and I'm on stage a bit. And so, we, you know, we started chatting and they're like, oh, you know, I came back and, and I've just told all my other colleagues that, you know, they have to attend. And so, you know, they're kind of now are bringing a much bigger team with them this year. And, and their enthusiasm for it was just... I know. I mean, it's lovely, and of course, I'm massively enthusiastic about myself. Myself, but because it, you know, it, it kind of is my baby. But to hear other people's enthusiasm for it is just the most wonderful, wonderful thing, and does still surprise me, even though I know there's a need for it. But then, when I when I think about it, I think what we're seeing happen is people kind of having that, not just uh, not just that moment of 
there's a great conference that I can attend or there's this thing that addresses my professional needs but they're having this moment of um, almost finding their professional identity um, and that to me is something much deeper than it's just running a conference and, and it's also what I experienced when I came across you know the term content strategist and, and felt like I'd found my kind of you know professional home amongst that crowd of and community of people and I and I think that's what we're seeing form around content ed at the moment I think it's that recognition of their their being this this community and you know you've seen it you've been part of it with with the social media professional community as well and, and that the, the, you know the tight knitness of that community um has also been quite something special that's evolved over the last kind of 10 15 years or so in the sector so we're just seeing that happen again around content strategy right now awesome so so here you go here's your opportunity to to plug this year's event i mean I, I, word on the grapevine is you've got some pretty cool sponsors this year as well as some good speakers as well well you're coming along of course as a, as a sponsor <laughs> but you, i mean you've been a speaker before so you know have, you know yeah. you know the caliber of the speakers that we get so um and do you know on on the on the sponsor part i mean i'm not, not just saying this because I, I speak to i'm speaking to you dave but um we, we're quite selective about who we actually invite or approach to be, be a sponsor or an exhibitor at the conference i mean we, we only want people there that we think are doing good work in the sector um and that we think are gonna add value to, to the audience's experience so i mean we, we, we don't like doing any sponsored speaking slots or anything like that at content and we won't allow that because we we just we want it to be a very kind of organic experience for, for the audiences and we want that to be true in the sponsor relationships as well so you know so we've seen the work that you're doing at the access platform and we think it's just you know we think it's brilliant and we think it's quite exciting so um so you know that's really important but speakers i mean we've got we've got speakers coming in from i mean obviously lots from the uk but we've got um flying in speakers from the us switzerland australia i think we've currently got guests coming in from about 13 countries um at the moment so and i think that that's a that's break records for us and as i say we've already got 230 people we thought we could take 250 although we're now hearing that we might be able to squeeze in more um but you know our, our keynote speakers we've got austin gleon coming over who not everyone will know austin's name um but they will have absolutely seen his work um because you know his books which well he's, he's published several now but the one of the first ones that people will be familiar with is still like an artist um is in pretty much every bookshop that you you know you ever wander into off the high street or in you know an airport or, or so forth and i've heard him speak at south by southwest and um and at other events in the states and he's just the most amazing speaker so we're flying austin in from texas to come and um, introduce him to the uh, the education and content community We've got Sarah Richards back again, um, who was on the programme last year, who everyone just absolutely loved. Um, and I, I loved a bit. She's an absolute breath of fresh air. And she's going to be you know, speaking a lot this year about accessibility and inclusion, which is such an important topic for us right now. Um, and uh, no, not, not right now. It's always an important topic for us. But I think we're, we're really starting to, to recognise in, in our community just how important it is that we put that at the front of the work that we do and not as an afterthought to the work that we do and then we've also got Mike Powers com coming in um, so Mike works at a university in the US and um, I've been friends with and familiar with Mike's work for probably about five or six years now and he is um, one of the most balanced uh leading thinkers I think in terms of understanding how to get content working within an organization how to really understand what is working for us with our content so from a measurement and testing perspective understanding how we arrange people and get influencers on board and so Mike is how I many he's deeply deeply intelligent as well so I could just sit and listen to him all day so we've just got the most amazing speakers and then we've um 
organize the rest of the program around four tracks this year so one of them making smart content decisions so all about how you use data to inform the decisions that you make about your content um, one of them is all about managing people and processes which is I've mentioned is massive to get right um, one of them is all about creating compelling content and inclusive content so you know the actual almost the storytelling or the editorial side of things of it um, and then the other track is all about embedding strategic thinking so how do you actually develop your strategies or, or you know design projects around around content as well and then you know the, the last plug that, I, that i'll make really is also the content and awards um which we're launching this year and we're really really excited to to be doing something that celebrates the great work that happens that is often happening behind the scenes um that generally wouldn't lend itself to an award entry um so we're, we're trying to recognize that work as well awesome well i'm even more excited about it now june can't come quickly enough so <laughs> Before uh, before I let you go and before we round up this conversation, I, I I wanted to kind of pick your brains on a couple of what what I think are some of the big trends in the world of content, or certainly what they might end up being. So first one is one you you touched on earlier in the interview, and this term content design. Just just briefly, what 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 is that, and and how is it being used in the sector at the moment? So co- content design is almost the um the, the phase that comes before content creation, um and it's the phase during which you're really thinking about what what is the actual user need that we're trying to address um in this piece of content that we might need to create or do we even need to create it at all does it does it even need to exist um and for, for me as i say it, it kind of bridges the the big strategic piece with with a content strategy and the output piece around you know actually creating a piece of content on page where where we we you know we translate that vision to 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 something that, that someone's going to see and we look you know we look at things like what's the what's the user story around this content um what what are the what the what what defines success for this piece of content so um y- you know is it someone getting answers to their question or, or someone you know fulfilling this call to action or things like that what's the right language for us to use what's the right level of information for us to be including you know on, on this page or in this piece of content you know and all of those kind of questions get asked in that process so w- we do it quite a lot when we're when we're bridging a strategy um particularly if we're working on a web project through creating like page tables where where it, you almost like produce the kind of the what I refer to as the paint by numbers kind of guide for creating what the content's going to be on the page, um, but sometimes it's just done as part of the content creation process as well. So, and and you know Sarah Richards, who's speaking at Content Ed, is is for me like the you know the the, the absolute. I was going to use the word guru, but I hate the word guru. But anyway, that's what she is of content design. She was the the first head of content design at, at GDS, the Government Digital Service. So she's um she's kind of considered to be part of that founding community. Um, and we also actually Padma as well, who's speaking at the conference this year. I mean, he's he's very much from from that you know that that world as well, and and that kind of experience. So so yeah, it's kind of a bridge. Okay, and a second one that I don't know if it's just something that is something I happen to have noticed or I'd be keen to find out if you've noticed it as well but it feels like there's a there's a more general trend to and it might be slow but it certainly seems steady at the moment so shifting towards sort of recruiting and even creating more jobs that have a real content focus to them I mean are are you seeing that and if so why do you think that is definitely and I think it's because people have people are starting to recognize that content is a um a profession and and not just a, a bolt on to some to other professions like marketing or like you know PR um so that they recognize that it's a kind of it's a skill set in its own right so um and you know that the more we talk about content strategy the more people go we need a content strategist or mm-hmm. um you know things like that so so yeah um I mean there are there are a few people in the sector that have a content strategy in their job title 
quite often see you know head head of digital and content um or you know or content manager or you know content officer type roles appearing so yeah it is but i think it, it comes also from the recognition that content is you know cross-cutting it cuts across different channels it cuts across different platforms but it also cuts across different uh, business and objectives that we have within the sector as well um and, and you know and it applies that skill set to, to lots of different things so i think that's why we're kind of seeing it and you know of course i welcome it uh-huh and the the, the third and last trend i wanted to to quiz you on was i guess long form and in-depth stuff because we've seen we almost it almost feels like there's a there's a pushback against this sort of bite-sized content that has been dominating certainly social media in the last couple of years like do you feel like there's there's a there's a an appetite for long form and, and a value in long form content in 2019 i think there is but i don't think we're resourcing it very well in our sector just yet i mean there's, there's definitely an appetite for it right we, we know we look at the success of platforms like um medium um you know the, the, even the growth in podcasting it is you know quite indicative of people's interest in in long form and in depth and and in our sector you know the the interest in in things like the conversation um th- there is absolutely not just a role for it but i think in a role that we have to play in in the higher education sector to drive it forward and and to to keep continuing to show people that that long form in-depth content is something that we should be looking at and we shouldn't just all be looking at flipping stuff on you know on on social where you know we we don't really challenge our own thinking at all sometimes with some of that we just see it and we take it for granted for what it is um and and i you know that's where i think we we have responsibilities to play in our sector as to the, the quality of the content we produce but i don't think we really invest in long form um very well uh, just yet there's still a kind of expectation that we'll be either working on the basic core content on a site or be churning out quite quick stuff um so yes massive value massive need but not yet enough resource being put into it okay one to watch then so yeah absolutely so i guess i guess this is this is probably the the biggest question that i'm going to ask you what's the key to a great content strategy so you know i, I knew you were going to ask me this question so <laughs> I, i've put some a little bit of thought to this one um so my answer might sound a little bit boring actually you know it's it's not about being the most creative people in the world and in fact sometimes you need to strip the creativity out a little bit um and almost go back to basics when it's about creating a great content strategy so for me it's about having the clarity of purpose and the clarity of vision um around what your content strategy is trying to achieve and around what your organization is trying to achieve um so so that that clarity and that that synthesis of, of that is is for me that the starting point of a great content strategy the, the second piece is then the stakeholder engagement that gets built around it so you know a, a content strategy is not a document that sits on its shelf it, it's kind of this you know th- this component of lots of parts and so f- for me a content strategy st- strategy is also about bringing people around it um, and having consensus across an organization as to how we're going to do things in a, a similar way for some things and allow for individualism on other things and so that's a massive um, that puts a massive demand on stakeholder engagement so great stakeholder engagement is absolutely key to great content strategy otherwise you're just not going to get anything off the ground and the next piece which is it's so so important you almost to me if i see a content strategy that kind of feels it doesn't have this it's it's almost not a content strategy at all um it's kind of a marketing plan and and that's a really deep and empathetic understanding of the audiences that we're trying to engage with um or, or that, that are engaging with us and, and just really really understanding them on a very human level and not just understanding them on a, a data level that tells us about you know 
x percent of them use this channel and you know x percent of them use that and and these are the, the pages that they currently visit on our site that, that that stuff's useful and we need to know that but we really need to know about them as people we need to know what what makes them tick what motivates them what what's causing them pain what's causing them problems what's going to make them really excited and um, what what's their value system what's their beliefs and and to really align ourselves to um, or not align ourselves when we don't align to their beliefs and, and recognising that, you know, that maybe we're not for them as well. So I think the complexity around that understanding of audience creates a great content strategy. And and then the last piece for me, which is where content strategy then, then delivers real efficiency for our organisation, is the recognition that content, we can treat content a bit like Lego. Um, you know that we, we can we can take these little blocks and, and components of content and we can structure them and build a boat out of them or we can take the same um, components and, and bricks and build you know a house out of them um, and and that to me creates for a very very exciting content strategy because that's when we start to really be able to make the maximum use of the content assets that we have within our organization and and really make that tra- that content travel a lot further for us as well um, and therefore get much greater efficiency gains I love it. You should you should try and get Lego's content strategist at Content Ed twenty twenty. I think they're. Um, I would love to do that. I think they're they're recruiting for a social media person at the moment. So they are. You, you mm. might have just started at the access platform a little bit too too soon. Um, <laughs> yeah. So yeah. <laughs> ah, shame. So 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 what is it about content strategy that that gets you excited? That keeps you motivated? You know what what is it about your job that that gets you up in the morning? I mean, the, the, the cheesy, simple answer is the people that I work with. Um, well, actually, my dog gets me up in the morning most mornings, <laughs> but um, that's it. That's different. Um, but you know, I, I'm I'm surrounded by wonderful people, not not just at Pickle Jar, and of course they're they're amazing. I'm gonna, of course, I'm gonna say that about my own team. Um, but our clients, uh, you know, are, are truly fantastic. You know, we, we work with. Let's face it, nobody works in the education sector for the money, right? M- m- pretty much all of us do it for the love of it. And if if we don't, we probably sh- maybe should not be working in this sector. So, and, and that's the beauty of it. We're surrounded by people who genuinely believe in the mission of education, and and that makes it more than worth getting out of bed for in the morning and it, and then even as a consultant you know you you do buy into the fact that the work that you are doing exists to change lives and make people's lives better and we you know we we have some clients that that really really go for it with, with that kind of work but for, for me that there's also the piece that's about content strategy itself and that's that because it's an evolving profession, because it's an evolving industry, um, and because we are constantly meeting and discovering new challenges all the time, it means that there's this continuous buzz of needing to invent something new all the time, constantly. So we're always, like every day, inventing a new framework, inventing a new way of looking at something, being presented with a different problem, and, and having the challenge of solving that problem. Um, and that to me is fabulous um, and and the last thing that really gets me out of bed in the morning which is, is something can, an area of my my own career um, and my own um, professional interest that I'm growing and have started to grow a lot more over the last year um, is that a lot of my work actually involves coaching people and and also when I'm doing stakeholder engagement work as well I, I quite often get told that it having a stakeholder engagement consultation is a lot like therapy and you can hear it I mean you can hear the relief when they're getting to share you know some of their frustrations and, and feel like they're really really being heard um, and actually that I mean that's a real quality of a good a good strategist to, to really really hear people and so for that reason coaching has started to become a much bigger piece of my work um, and, and to that end I mean in, in two weeks time I'm out in New York starting to um, train to become a professional coach 
um so over the next year yeah so it's become quite a big big thing for me and I recognize that the skills that I can have as a coach will also make me a better leader a better um, a better strategist a better consultant and um yeah so I'm kind of really investing in that and that really excites me at the moment because you know what you're doing as a coach is understanding people and seeking to understand them and seeking to help them find a way through things and that's actually also exactly the same thing that we're doing as a content strategist as well so um and I find just endlessly fascinating understanding people that's amazing oh, that's, that sounds really really exciting so you'll, you'll have to we'll have to stay in touch i'd be fascinated Absolutely. to see how yeah, that goes on so tracy i mean i really appreciate you taking the time to, to come on the podcast and talk content strategy and, and talk about content ed obviously very excited to get up to edinburgh and, and see you guys in june before i before i let you go i just i always like to end these sort of conversations with some some tangible takeaways for people listening so I was wondering if you could perhaps offer three fairly simple things that someone who is listening to this from a university could could do today to to really improve their approach to content. Yeah. So the the first one that I would suggest although it's not necessarily the simplest is is investing in audience research. Um and and doing that in more detail. So but let, let's give a a more simple takeaway if if we can around that to get them to that point. So you know, a simple activity that I, I use a lot that they could do in their, in their organisation is what we call the, the facts, assumptions and mysteries activity. So with that, you, you gather together with a number of different stakeholders that are involved in, you know, a relationship with a particular audience. Um, you, you identify who that audience is that you're thinking about and you get a big piece of paper and you put three columns on it. One is facts, one is assumptions, one is mysteries. So everything that we know about that audience for fact um, and believe me, there's generally very, very little in that column because when we actually question, you know, do we really know this for a fact? Too often we find that we don't or we can't we can't quantify you know, our knowledge. Then a list of all the assumptions that we make at our audience. And then lastly, a list of all the things that are a bit of a mystery to us about our audiences that we probably think we ought to know. Um, and that is an actual really that's a really, really good starting point to reveal to our stakeholders and to ourselves that we don't always know everything about our audiences or as much as we think we should um, and it can also form the basis of an audience research plan so that's quite a nice and it's quite a quick activity to do and, and quite a nice one for involving different people in the other thing is to um to start working in structured content um, a lot more now on a big scale, working in content in structured content means redesigning your content management systems, uh, looking at digital asset management, the really, really big meaty pieces. And, and people who are, their background is as more as creative writers probably hate me for saying this, but at a most basic level, what we can do is start structuring our content into into um, tools and technologies like spreadsheets, um, where we, we recognise what are the, the consistent components that we might use in a particular form of content, let's say it's a news release or a case study, um, and we start to put the, that content into those fields. Um, by doing that, we're actually readying ourselves and readying our content for it to be used in a much more structured way, and, and that's a, a reasonable starting point for doing it. And yeah, so um, and, I mean, the, the, you know, there's a million other things. So, um, but um, anything around understanding how people and workflow processes work is, is another thing to really address. So, yeah. Brilliant. Great. Well, again, Tracy, thank you for being so generous with your time and your knowledge. It's a pleasure. Um, really great to chat. And uh, yeah, like I say, really looking forward to Content Ed. And uh, I'll see you there. Me too. Looking forward to it. Thank you very much for having me on. You've been listening to Inspiration on Tap podcast brought to you by the access platform our tool gives you an authentic connection to prospective students in the form of chat content and faqs we'll help you attract convert and recruit more students 
Find out more, book a demo, or sign up to our awesome newsletter at theaccessplatform.com. Or say hi on Twitter, where we're at TA Platform. This episode was hosted and produced by me, Dave Musson, and my guest was Pickle Jars CEO and founder, Tracy Playl. Find her on Twitter at Tracy Playl, and find out more about the amazing Content Ed conference at contentedlive.com. Our theme tune and ad music were created for us by Laptop Philharmonic. Find more of his music on Apple Music, Spotify, or at laptopphilharmonic.bandcamp.com. Last of all, don't forget to subscribe to this show, Inspiration on Tap, so you never miss a future episode. And feel free to leave us a rating or review, as it really helps. Or just tell a friend about our show. Or don't do anything, if you think you can live with that guilt. Can you? Really? Catch you next time.